Uh, and hopefully you will likewise enjoy studying with us today because we have two important topics for our study session. We are going to start uh, with the public safety budget. And Mr. Clark, would you like to introduce that topic? Yes, uh, this item will be presented by Chris Escobedo, uh, the Assistant City Manager. Chris, you're on mute. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Wonderful, thank you. Uh, Mayor and Council, thank you so much. Uh, I'll take first part of this presentation and Lieutenant Wilson will be joining me shortly as well to talk about calls for service. Uh, next slide, please, Anthony. So in the next fiscal year, the major initiatives we have set and proposed are threefold. Number one, the deployment of phase two of the ALPR system. Recently, the city council approved the award of phase two, which means we have um, the installation of the system set to be installed in all intersections throughout the city of Palm Desert. We know that it serves as a key investigative tool, force multiplier, and it's increasing the solve rates for crimes. Additionally, in the last couple of months, we've had discussions with the school district and Palm Desert Charter Middle School about restoring the school resource officer that was what was once at Palm Desert Charter Middle School. So the district and the middle school are both prepared to enter a 50-50 cost share with the city should the council be open to it. Um, essentially, what we know is that from the recent events at the middle school, this officer will have a enhanced presence both for issues that happen, but also providing the guidance and counseling support that we know the SROs to be good at. The good part about an SRO, it's the least expensive uh, sworn position that is offered by the Sheriff's Department. Um, at the same time, by adding an SRO, we know that it also relieves patrol deputies of the calls for service and time needed to respond to incidents at a school. Over the last several months, we've also heard from the Public Safety Committee, Council, and residents about the need for additional traffic enforcement. Uh, in the next coming months, we will be seeing additional uh, DUI checkpoints, uh, deployment of sheriff staff with the, C the CVMET team, and then also greater coordination with the street racing team. On the other side of the initiatives, we have several cost containment measures that we've been looking at. And I guess I would step back and say the city manager, Lieutenant Wilson, and I have been looking closely at metrics, uh, service levels, and how do you, you know, enhance levels at a minimal cost. So that's kind of the premise of, of this presentation. Uh, we know a key component is using technology to keep staffing levels flat. Uh, a couple of years ago, the city council increased the community service officers. And so this year, we looked at how to best utilize each officer to offset some of the uh, service impacts that we're seeing. So we'll go into that shortly. And then also we've identified several cost recovery charges that have not been updated since 2015 or 2016, including impound rates, as well as uh, DUI related uh, impound rates. So those are also items that we'll be looking at this next fiscal year. Next slide. I'll go into this uh, detail shortly, but essentially for the next fiscal year, uh, we have a grand total of 21.4 million set for set for the expenditure uh, for police services. The major cost factors are the sheriff's department is proposing a contract rate increase of 2.5%. So that's factored into these numbers. Additionally, we have into this budget here uh, the costs for ALPR phase two, 
and the addition of a school resource officer. Next slide. We're happy to uh, share this detail if it's hard to see via screen right now. But essentially, uh, the number we showed previously, which is the 21.4, these are all the line items that make up these numbers. The biggest cost factors are those patrol deputies, which is item one at $11 million. So that's 28 patrol deputies that are on the street uh, on a 24-7 cycle, uh, preventing and, and responding to calls for service. Additionally, line items two through 13 show the, the ver various dedicated resources that we have in Palm Desert, whether it be the lieutenant, uh, SROs, motor officers, and participation in the regional gang task force and other task force. Line items 14 through, through 27 show all the other supporting costs uh, that go into the contract rate, including overtime, uh, use of the Palm Desert Station, vehicle maintenance, et cetera. Next slide. So here we just have a brief illustration of the last uh, few years of the contract rate adjustment. Right now we're averaging from the last five years an approximate um, average rate of 4%. Uh, we know in, in previous years we saw contract rate increases be at 10%, 7%. And so what we see now is a leveling off and, and tapering down of that rate. Uh, this year we're set to end the year at uh, 1.89. Uh, we projected the current year to end at 2.5. So this year we're going to experience some savings in the law enforcement rate. And next year, uh, the Sheriff's Department has given us a range of, of 2 to 2.5 percent. We're projecting on the higher side to be more conservative uh, as we in, into the next fiscal year. Next slide. So here's essentially just the, the summation of the various uh, resources that the city gets uh, by contracting with the Sheriff's Department and at this high service level. On the first column here, we have the patrol deputies, the business district team, uh, various resources that are dedicated to Palm Desert. We also have the leadership and overhead, including the captain, lieutenant, uh, sergeants that essentially direct the field operations. Um, also in here, it's important to note that there are certain services that we directly pay for, but there's also services and resources that we get by nature of the formula of the contract rate. So uh, you have admin staff, payroll, investi investigative officers that also support the various operations um, that happen uh, with the contract. Next slide. Earlier we mentioned uh, just the reallocation of CSOs Essentially, we're uh, looking at the total number of 11. Lieutenant Willison, the city manager, and I looked at you have 11, and the, the key part for this is you know, how do you best utilize these bodies? What are some of the gaps? What are the efficiencies to be found? And essentially, we will still be committing to having six on patrol, uh, one on crime prevention, one on admin support. Previous, there was a sworn sergeant that was the admin support officer. So versus pay the $350,000 per year for that position, we're now using a CSO to handle the admin tasks, which is half the price. Also, we have two officers set for dedicated daytime traffic enforcement. And due to the incidents that have happened of recent uh, at nighttime, we're proposing to move one of the officers, the CSO, sorry, uh, to nighttime enforcement to respond to issues that happened um, in the after hours. 
So with that, I'm going to pause if there's any questions. Uh, Anthony, I'm also going to defer to you to see if Lieutenant Wilson has, has uh, signed on. Uh, Lieutenant Wilson is in the room. Okay, perfect. Let he is? Yes. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, so these next uh, four slides, I'll defer to the lieutenant so he can walk through response times, call for service, and some of the crime activity that he's been seeing and we've been monitoring over the last few months. Good afternoon. We can hear you. You guys hear me okay? Yes, we can hear you. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, as Chris st stated, um, take a, take a few moments, go over this uh, this report with you. This is uh, Q1 of, of 2023, uh, something that the PSC uh, continually gets on a monthly basis. And, and uh, before getting into the the metrics on this, kind of share some some uh, some efficiencies with with the uh, reporting of of this particular. Um, this particular subject. Uh, this, this thing prior was about 23, 24 pages on a monthly basis was taking our, your BDT and your set supervisor roughly 30 to 40 hours to create uh, just this report, which was pretty large, voluminous, uh, and, and had a lot of redundancies that, uh, that as we got together as a leadership team, figured out a way to, to uh, combat some of that, uh, make our staff more efficient, and uh, get get them back out there for boots on the ground. So uh, between your CM, ACM, uh, myself, and and, uh, and our teams, we kind of put this together. Uh, and it's obviously um, it, it can it can change based on the needs. Um, so we're looking at it, uh, doing a year to year comparison as well as the last quarter to see if we have any any actual crime trends. And you guys can kind of see the 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 uh, ebbs and flows that we're we're seeing here uh, on our on our end. But real quickly, it's a three. We broke it down into three pages. Uh, essentially has all of your information that the 23, 24 page report had in a pretty laid out, easy to read fashion. So your top top part here is your art times, your average response times. And if you look across from Jan, February, March, uh, those are pretty pretty standard for your priority one one through fours. Um, you compare that to some of the other cities where we're, we're tracking very, very well. Um, going down to the bottom screen, those are your uh, CFS or your calls for service that we're averaging each month. Uh, again, broken down by, by priorities, you can kind of see, you know, or, or priority ones or where they should be very, very minimal. Uh, those are typically your code three response, uh, lights and sirens, uh, two or threes are, are some things that we need to give some love to, uh, just not as an immediate fashion, your priority fours or your, your low levels, no suspect information, nothing in progress, things like that. Uh, and then all those are all those are um, based on your, your uh, part one, twos uh, through your, your uh, FBI UCR data. Uh, we can go to the next slide. So for, for uh, page two of three, uh, we have our part one and, and uh, part two crime data. Uh, so your part one crimes, I'll take you up top here. Um, this is pushed out again last quarter um, uh, through March, March uh, the end of March here. Um, and as you can see, I'll take your attention to the far right, right? As, as we all know, um, here in the Coachella Valley, it's not specific to, to just our city alone, but the larceny thefts are are, uh, are going to be our, our primary target, which uh, you look at it depending on which way you look at it. It's a blessing and a curse, right? Uh, obviously, we'd like zero crime within our, our city limits, but if we ever had to, um, we don't want this pendulum swung and having our, our central or criminal homicides, the, the forcible sexual assaults, robberies, things like that, 
Um, though we want those pushed down as low as we can. So the larceny thefts are something that we implement using, you know, bait bike programs. We'll throw a purse in a, in one of our UC cars, uh, set up teams uh, with comms, have takeaway cars and, and start mashing. But as you guys know, um, you know, it's, that's been a plague in the state of California, not just, again, not just a, a Palm Desert or Coachella Valley issue. That's something that's going to take state legislator. Uh, you guys have heard the DA, the sheriffs speak for years about this topic of, you know, they've decriminalized a lot of things. And unfortunately, the criminals are, have caught on to this. And so they know the threshold is under 950. They're out with a citation or they're in and out with fingerprints, a photo and out the door. Uh, it's a whole nother conversation for another time frame. But that, that leads to why we're seeing this data that we are with part one uh, crime reporting on the far right. Going down, uh, down to the second part of this page, we thought it was relevant to share the part two crime uh, with all of our constituents. Um, so for our data for January, February, March, again, you're seeing a little little pop in narcotics. Obviously you guys have, have uh, kept, kept your CVNTF officer, which is just doing amazing, amazing work. Um, your simple assaults are, are right where they should be. The fraud calls, you know, it's, uh, the, that paper terrorism, everything else is, is very difficult to combat, especially if you start bouncing off IP addresses or, or using fake money checks, things like that. You're you're running around and, and needing needing a lot of search warrants to to accommodate that. And usually, as we talked about a couple of months ago, with the LPR system, a lot of a lot of that leads to fictitious and fraudulent information being utilized in the first place. Uh, your warrants or, or cases that are submitted, and, and for whatever reason, the, the uh, courts and the in the justice system, those people are, are back on our streets. And so uh, they, there's a warrant in the system for them. Those are that's what you rep, represent in the middle there. Uh, your DUIs always always a huge topic, especially with uh, with our valley and, and the population that we have. Um, the excessive speed is obviously a driving force here, specifically correlated to our DUIs. Uh, you're seeing a lot of cannabis related stuff now that's popped uh, with the legalization over the years. Uh, public intoxication, again, you know, we, we try and do everything we can on a on a unified front to get them, uh, get them family, friends uh, to, to support that if we can. Uh, and if not, we'll, we'll take the ride. And then obviously, um, as touched upon in PSC yesterday, you're in a huge part to all of our business owners and residents in the city is your trespass violations out there on the far right. You have your trust, uh, citywide trespass program, which uh, we want to compliment the, uh, the city leadership, all of your department heads and uh, your code enforcement department. They've been working seamlessly with us, uh, making that program stronger and stronger every year, getting buy-in from, from our business owners um property managers things like that and, and we're you know we're well over 100 businesses and growing um and they there's buy-in on it that that uh, letter is good for 365 days no questions asked they know that if, if they have a trespasser on on premises that's that's been worn there that uh, gives us the the teeth and leverage if it's two in the morning on a sunday it doesn't matter we, we we now have to don't we don't have to go uh, wake them up, get them out there on scene and, and, and sign the private person's arrest form. It's, it's already done. We know that, that that is on file and something that we take very seriously. Uh, your BDT does a fantastic job at, at spearheading that. You know, we push that out to all of our patrol teams, uh, all of your specialty teams, and, and that's something that your other uh, contractual cities out of the station are also jumping on board with and, and uh, following, following lead. Uh, go ahead and uh, run to the next one. So. For our last slide here, a uh, huge, huge, uh, huge hot topic here, uh, especially with seven fatalities here in the last 110, 120 days within the city, um, and, and something that our you know city leadership, and council, I've had numerous, numerous conversations in, uh, and then with our team, how to how to drive these numbers down, right? You're seeing just a lot of a lot of uh, reckless reckless behavior that comes in us all the time. I mean, I I, I reside there in a mid county. 
and I've got people flying by me like I'm standing still all day long. So um, something that, you know, we, we've seen a need in. And for those reasons, here, here's how we broke this down into a very, very simplistic uh, form to, to kind of show people where, where we're tracking in our city. Uh, so your collisions uh, by type here, you're obviously on your top there is going to be your dark green. That's going to be your injury and fatal collisions. Obviously, we want those driven down as low as we can. Your non-injury collisions are going to be your 1182s, your 1180, uh, 1181s, if it's just a minor complaint of pain, uh, something, something uh, you know, or exchange of information, things uh, for insurance purposes needs. So those are those are always good to keep a track on that. As you can see, um, you know, those took a little bit of a dip in February, and we've seen a little rise in March to be expected with the uh, the influx of the population that we're seeing. Um, down here at the uh, the polo fields right now, and we're getting ready to rock with another 100,000 uh, people coming in here into this confined area. So with that, and with the traffic uh, stipulations, you got a, a you know some drivers that don't want to take the extra 10, 20 minutes to to uh, do the right thing. And so uh, we try as hard as we can to get them on our radar and, and uh, get that get that uh, prevention effort going. Uh, in the middle here is another important piece to traffic enforcement with your citation data. Um, looking at January, February, March. So your green again is going to be your non-hazardous. Easiest way to break that down for us is is, is your correctable citations, tint on the tint on your windshield, uh, broken tail light that's easily correctable, things like that going to be considered a non-hazardous. As you can see, we these are those are typically handled uh, in, in just a warning fashion. A you know um, this this is what we saw in your vehicle. You know, please bring it up to code. Uh, and usually out, those are the actual citations that have been written uh, through the first quarter. And then your citations for your hazardous, this is kind of what we're talking about that correlates to your TCs up top, right? Your hazardous citation, citations are gonna be your excessive speed, the illegal turns, the running the red lights, the things that keep plaguing all of us and that, that we just don't wanna see. And, and again, you're seeing that trend, right? Um, as, as we spoke to talking to your traffic supervisor and all of your motors and, and your CSOs assigned to traffic, um, you're seeing that number increase for for a couple of reasons. One, again, you have you have a lot more population that's coming out here, and that, that we're seeing. And and two, um, you know those 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 that staffs directly assigned to to these these uh, tasks with enforcing traffic, um, or, or getting out behind their desks uh, with with those you know serious uh, fatal and, and very serious collisions that we experienced in the first part of the year. So I'm um, looking to to continue that line in upward mobility and and keep uh, keep those down. Or, or keep the citations rising, which which uh, in turn should be uh, keeping those collisions at bay there up top. And the last piece of information, um, you know, depending on which which book that you that you you buy into with with your TEI index or your your TCI with your traffic collision index, essentially um, the higher the number of your traffic enforcement index with your dark dark brown here at the bottom third third graph, uh, essentially the safer your city. So. Um, that that's it in theory, as you can see, we're, we're you know we're, we're uh, the January was was down. Obviously, that that was a, that was a month that the plague us. We're all familiar with it. Uh, we increased that in February and in March. Um, as you can see there with the data, um, with your traffic enforcement index, it essentially how we calculate those figures are. Um, you go in there and take uh, your accidents uh, between the hazardous citations and your DUI or your deuce arrests. And you divide that by your fatal and in, in, uh, injury collisions, and you get you get that information. So, in a nutshell, we want the higher number 
uh, lower number on the bottom, which we're seeing the higher number on top. And again, in theory, uh, the, the thought behind that process for your traffic and uh, enforcement index is the more traffic citations that you go out and, and write, in theory, your your uh, your vehicle collision should reduce. Uh, again, not always a perfect science, but that's that's it in a nutshell. And that's kind of the uh, the monthly. Uh, we broke this into a quarterly, and uh, I actually got with the traffic team, followed up with the PSCs, uh, looking at some yearly stats, and we're we're uh, in the process of adjusting that as well to get some year-to-year -year comparisons for for council and everyone involved, um, looking to see. Um, you know, kind of what what method. But again, we, we took this down. The, the whole point behind it, this report uh, that, that uh, your ACM and your CM have given me the latitude to go ahead and adjust. Uh, we took 30, 40 hours of, of your, your sworn sergeant's time and broke that down to about an hour. And now this gives us a, a plug and play method of, of being able to break it down. So um, many fronts that we see this advantageous. And again, we're able to tweak it as necessary. So if there's something that, you know, some something else somebody else would like to see or a different different method. This gives us the latitude, We've got a couple other uh, contract cities outside of our station that are utilizing this very, very similar format. And we found it successful. It seems like PSC is fairly happy with that reporting method. And again, you know, we're, we're uh, happy to share any any info that, that comes up along the way. And that uh, that kind of concludes the uh, the monthly or quarterly report that, uh, that uh, is incorporated uh, here for Q1 of 2023. Be more than happy to answer uh, any questions or uh, anything that anyone has. Is that a full presentation? We have just one more slide here. Okay. In summation, so essentially, given the importance of public safety as well as being mindful of the, of the cost, uh, this package here provides a service enhancement at, at minimal cost. We know that we're returning to calls for service. Um, to you know, to levels before the pandemic. So there's a greater need and emphasis, especially with ALPR for us to focus on metrics and new reporting methods. And so our commitment is to come back to you on a quarterly basis to show the measurable outcomes of service changes uh, and needs. And then at the same time, the contract with, with the Sheriff's Department expires next fiscal year. And so our, our whole effort here is to prepare us for that upcoming contract renewal discussion. Uh, great. Let me see first if colleagues have questions, and I'll start at this end with uh, Councilmember Truby. Uh, no questions. I was actually fortunate enough to see this presentation yesterday with public safety, so thank you. Sure. Mayor Pro Tem Quintanilla. Thank you, Madam Mayor. As usual, I have uh, quite a few questions. So if we are looking at the calls for service, where we look at uh, average response times and number of service calls. Under priority four, it says cold calls. Is that um, an average of looking back at previous reports? Is that warrants or what is covered under cold calls? You guys hear me okay? Yes. Yeah, so priority four is going to be uh, priority four is going to be cold calls, right? That's something where where when a call comes into our dispatch center, uh, you know, a, a past fraud uh, where there's no suspect information, a person that calls in to report, um, you know, their their credit card was used a month ago uh, at an unknown location, um, things like that, or they come back. Um, 
they come back, they discover that part of their lawn furniture had been removed. There's no, we have nothing to go on right at that time that would sit in the queue as a priority four. So essentially the, the four is the lowest priority to where, yes, we're going to get someone there, but it frees up our, our sworn staff for, you know, the armed robberies, the uh, sexual assaults in progress, the, um, the, the bergs in progress, uh, major injury collisions, things like that, where we need, we, we would need a, a response immediately. So the priority for, um, it are the calls that where there is no suspect information, the, the reporting party who's calling it in may not be available at their house or, or via telephone at that time and just wants to call back to report it into it. Thank you. And are those typically handled or how much of that is handled by our CSO versus your sworn officers? So excellent question. Um, uh, typically the priority four is going to be handled by your non-sworn staff uh, or, your, or your CSO. So uh, one thing not contained in this report that, that uh, your city leadership and, and our team has gotten together on is um, and things that we can definitely share here in the future is getting right. The whole point um, when I when I came on after these changes were already done uh, and, and boosting the three CSOs into the contract is there's very, very, very good things I can use with CSOs as, as we're finding out. Obviously, we're not going to throw them into our, our hot priority calls that are coming out. However, on the back end, um, those those staff in a non-sworn status are you know, well versed in taking on injury, traffic collisions, uh, frauds. Um, things of that nature, past burglaries, uh, telephone reports, anything like that. So a lot of those priority fours are going to be handled, uh, which is the system is designed for that. So uh, in the last year to 18 months, your your call volume with the CSOs, um, identifying a need for them to handle and, and with appropriate training, of course, to get them into uh, that role and handling those fraudulent investigations where they may not have that, that background. We've educated them. We've given the proper training and resources to be successful for it. Our specialty teams, our investigations bureau, things like that can follow it up. Granted, there is no current suspect on, on premises or during that call that they can handle. So it essentially, it's freeing up a lot more time for your sworn staff to be doing exactly what you would expect them to be doing, exactly what I would expect them to be doing, and being able to kind of bifurcate those things and reallocate resources as necessary. That is excellent information, and that correlates to my second question. On the following slide, where you, where you discuss the uh, select part two crime data, there's a substantial increase in warrants. Is that partly because you have more time uh, as CSOs have freed up things and there's an easier opportunity to go for those? Is that mostly um, like priority four, or how does that fall in since that's uh, the third highest rate of uh, service? Yeah, so your warrants are something, and that, that's, you know, excellent question again. Your your AWS or your, your automated warrant services is something to where, you know, a deputy a deputy walks a case in uh, to the district attorney's office, gets a warrant in the system, uh, or, you know, they file out of custody on a suspect. Um, you know, after numerous attempts, they're unable to locate that person uh, responsible for that crime. They send it off to the district attorney's office and then a bench warrant gets issued uh, based on that. Or another method is, you know, the, the deputy officer goes, generates the report, puts the person in custody. They get they get OR'd or fed kicked or released from jail, right? Perfect. And um, my other... 
And then on their court, and the judge issues a, I'm sorry. No, go on ahead. I, I thought that you you had concluded. Please continue. Oh, I'm sorry. So so numerous methods for, for a warrant to be in the system on a person. Uh, we did uh, a couple of weeks ago. We, we had a, you know, speaking of our of our traffic enforcement, our, uh, our traffic team got together, uh, paired up with all the special enforcement teams and all our regional teams. And we did a, a DUI, a DUI suite throughout the city limits. I uh, got numerous offenders that had the outstanding warrants, even though it's a, you know, quote unquote, a low level DUI misdemeanor warrant. We take it very seriously. I know that everyone on, on, uh, in this meeting takes this very seriously and something to where, um, you know, you, you offend in our city, we're, we're going to send a message that is not going to be tolerated and we're going to come find you one way or another. So the warrants are something that are already in the system. It gives us leverage uh, to go out there, put them back into the system. And, you know, it, it's, it's, I hate to say it, but it's kind of a rinse and repeat, right? We can go and we'll play the same circle again. If they didn't go to court once, we probably know they're not going to go twice until finally they get the right magistrate that's you know, put, put some teeth into the system and says, hey, you're, you're, you know, we're, we're done playing this game. We're just going to remand you into custody until, until, uh, you know, this, this case gets cleared up one way or another. Thank you. And my final question, and thank you for, for being so thorough and, and uh, allowing me to throw all of these at you. In looking at the information for trespass violations, I'm grateful that we have the support of your officers when we have uh, support for unsheltered individuals. Is that the majority of them? And beyond that, what are the other frequent types of calls that you see for trespassing? Sure. So, so that, yes. Um, Another great question that yeah, I, I could I could keep us here all night with, um, but I won't. The trespass violations, um, you're, you're seeing a huge spike in that. So when we when we when you see the data here for trespass violations, we have many many as, as we know, you know, with our homeless task force uh, bringing bringing on Jason onto the team recently. We're working with our homeless homeless outreach team uh, with the county and your business district team. We, our, our main goal with with uh, the unhoused is, is is obviously to put them back into society in a, in a, uh, a professional manner to where you know give them some trade skills and get them back reintegrated in the community. Right, and that's that's my goal. That's that's our that's our stance, uh, and that's that's the approach we take until you know we, we get to a point with with some of these individuals who either have violent tendencies or addiction issues to where you know unfortunately we've we've come to a stalemate to where so many of our of our stakeholders in the city whether it be the business owners or you know complaints coming into to uh, city council or city leadership come that you know a lot of a lot of these violators are are your frequent flyers that um you know unfortunately a, a resource uh resource resilient program unfortunately just is not is not going to be effective for them so in those cases you know then we take the enforcement action and 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 uh, obviously, we know that's not a perfect system, as everybody knows. But uh, that's the only method that one get get them clean from whatever addiction, or at least get them detoxed for the for the current time being, and then keep working, trying to locate family, trying to trying to outreach with resources to get them on board. And, and you know, as, as as we all know, and talking with with our um, you know Stephen Nelson, who's now on our patrol bureau as a corporal, and during his four four and a half years on that team. You know, 99, 99 contacts with that same individual. Um, the answer is no. And on the hundredth time, he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm sick of you guys. I'm sick of you guys messing with me. I'm sick of going to jail. I'm sick of getting these bench warrants. 
but you know what, let's give it a shot. And there, there are a lot of resources as we all know. And, and ultimately that is our goal, but you know, it's, it's a, um, it's a game where it's a, it's a multi-pronged approach. Uh, but yes, the trespass violations, those are for the, that you're seeing on these figures are business owners that we work together with us, code enforcement, the homeless outreach team, our hot team, taking it from many fronts, evaluated these individuals and identified them as, as, as people that unfortunately are just aren't, aren't willing to accept the resources at that time and, and uh, it, it violated uh, laws or city ordinances to which, you know, um, we, we do take enforceable action on. And uh, the second part of that question was beyond um, the unsheltered. Are the rest of them related to, for example, the larceny and theft or um, what is the second highest uh, reason that we have a uh, trespassing? Yeah, of course. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're unhoused. Um, typically, are are the are going to be a majority of your people with the with the trespasses with as with your larceny thefts, right? Um, you're seeing that. You're seeing that a lot. Um, you know, the, the the people that that aren't out there, you know, working and and finds find it easy to go out and and um, you know victimize others. That's very easy, right? And again, we're we're talking about a much larger piece of that pie with legislators and and things to where yeah, that's that's where we are now. So once they understand that game, and um, you know, I believe that the district attorney just said this in one of his recent uh, briefings. He had a three year three year eight month offender that was fed kicked within seventy two hours in custody. It's not a it's not a uh, not an uncommon occurrence that we're seeing. So. Um, you know, we, we do, we have that mechanism to get them off the street. Unfortunately, the flip side to that, and it's not popular, is that, you know, they're, they're right back on the street, typically before the, the officer or deputy has completed their report. And that's, that's, that's a much larger, much larger problem. But, you know, we, we are going to come to work, do our jobs, do it thoroughly, do it accurately, and address your guys' needs and the, the stakeholders' needs in the city uh, every single day. So you're going to see you're going to see that trespass violation continue to be up there. The larceny thefts, like I said, um, I, I filtered through the press release within the last couple of days on your Desert X. Right, I had Jen, uh, your your director, executive director, hit me up, and, and the chief for uh, for DHSPD and Cabazon because you had three locations. It's like Chris, I need help. I'm, I'm we're getting people are coming in, you know, breaking windows to cars, stealing valuables, and they're gone. Um, and, you know, within 48 hours, you had over $70,000 in recovered merchandise. The flip side to that is um, it's a property crime. You don't have a crime against a person. And I know it's unpopular to say it, but that's where we are, right? There, there is no, no real teeth in that system. Yes, we have numerous victims identified. We're going to package that up, get with the district attorney, put all of those victims together and bundle it up and, and let the system do what it's going to do. So those are more crimes of opportunities where um, when you're looking at the larceny thefts, um, you're, you're seeing some, some, some things where we're, we're going on an educational aspect and, and, and trying to push out press releases, trying to get out there in these community meetings, your HOAs, your neighborhood watch and say, hey, guys, I, we know it's, you know, we're, we're trying to build this safe crime free community. However, you leave a purse on the front seat if it's not our bait car, right? We don't want it to be stolen. Let's so. get the next question. Okay. Uh, and I have to needle you just a little bit, Lieutenant Wilson. All of our questions are excellent. So uh, let's see if Councilmember Nestante has any excellent questions. 
I was just going to overall, and I apologize for being a few minutes late if you address this, the license plate reader program that the city approved, uh, I would assume it's been highly successful. Did you want to add anything to it? Hopefully it's making your job easier to uh, catch criminals. Yeah, again, excellent question. Uh, yes, and I apologize. I know I can. I know I can get very, very long-winded, and so you let me, you know, put that put that red stop sign on me. Say your time's up. Um, in a nutshell, yes, highly successful. I, I think uh, Council Councilman Truby last time asked, and in a very short manner, I said yes. Um, by that, I mean with, with this session, I'll take a deeper dive in. Uh, we, part of our job in, in speaking to the people that violate lies to also get information and, and um, get, you know, as much as they play the game with us, we, we, we uh, do the same and get intel to try and to try and stop the reoffending. And with these LPRs, uh, essentially any, any crime committed with a vehicle associated with it gives us an investigative lead. We have been absolutely lights out with this program uh the cases that we've spoken about we're going to keep keep feeding those success stories um the recovery right now i think we were at uh, over seven hundred thousand dollars um when, when i presented it last month you're you're well on your way to seven figures at this point um with the average of about 16 grand a car but yes very successful and the the, the note i want to hit is that message of getting out there um on the cbntf and the and the gang task force uh, and our patrol investigations, when I go around and, and have thorough debriefs on some of these major incidents, one thing that we are hearing a common theme is we are not going to mess around in Palm Desert because we're getting apprehended. So uh, that is worth its weight to us, at least in our shop, is gold. It's very, I mean, these are coming from offenders that, you know, even though they know they, they can see the technology, right, it's, 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 it's there. Um, they're they're stopping that and, and going and doing their dirt in other areas. So that that's got a, an impact. It's uh, for them to tell us that, knowing that that's you know under whether it's under Miranda or or just talking with a, a deputy or an investigator for us is, is absolutely huge. We did not choose to get that kind of information. Okay, thank you, Councilmember Harnick. Thank you, Mayor. Um, thank you, Lieutenant Willison. I have a really average question. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you talked about the DUIs, and, I, and then you mentioned cannabis. And I just want to know, are we making progress with being able to identify those who are DUI candidates using cannabis? We, you know, any kind of testing? So, yes, uh, progress. Yes, uh, obviously, as you and I, you know, as, as everyone in here knows, the alcohol is, is very, you know, it's very easy to spot, right? You could, we've all been in our ventures in our in our lives, and like, oh, they're probably UTI to some degree, right? And then we have the the pass, the pass that gives us an immediate printout on, hey, here's where they are, right? We have the threshold of 0.08, which used to be 0.1 in California. Very easy. Uh, is when you start mixing the pills and, and seeing some of the other drugs and or intoxicants mixed into that, typically it's not just a one a one and done, right? A lot of a lot of these people we're we're starting to see a lot of things, different things on board. But specific to cannabis, you know, there there's a huge educational aspect in it because you know the laws are always changing uh, with with cannabis related and it is legal. Um, you know, uh, 
to, to some degrees and there were there's state law that con you know that, that contradicted the federal law and so you get those blurred lines but to answer your question uh yes we are making an impact we are seeing and we are seeing an uptick in cannabis related incidents um and 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 we are you know our our, our dres our drug recognition experts the people that were sent into our uh, drug abuse recognition class which is two three days um, we are getting a lot more of our newer staff trained up to identify these things. So if they see if they see someone uh, that's potentially UTI, they have more more leverage, more tools in their tool bag to be able to to balance out, evaluate, and then ultimately, if, if need be, get uh, get them uh, get them off the road in a safe manner. Okay, thank you very much. And I just have one question. I noticed uh, burglaries increased from 23 to 41 between February and March. Um, a home invasion is a very, very disconcerting crime uh, to residents. Do we know uh, or have a theory as to the cause for that increase sure so your, your burglary is, is is 459 pc of the penal code so a burglary is, is going into a residence or an inhibited dwelling with the intent to, to uh commit a, a theft or a crime um so two differences between your residential commercial burglary and your home invasion right uh, versus your cat burglary uh, your cat burglary give you a quick crash course is where the resident is home um at the time of that commission of the crime, your home invasion is where, you know, they go in and, and actually, um, you know, make contact with your homeowner um, and, you know, still still proceed with, with your burglary on top of your on top of your home invasion. Uh, and then your, your residential burglaries where, you know, you go on vacation for a week, you come back and you see that someone has made entry and taken items, valuables from your home. So. Uh, a lot of time with your residential burglaries, even your commercial burglaries, uh, it, it, it is, you know, you're, you're not seeing the, the numbers that you are in your larceny theft, but yeah, you, you have professional burglary crews that go around and, and victimize. Um, and, you, you know, it's why you guys, you guys uh, have supported a, a burglary suppression unit, uh, which, you know, we have another contract city on as well, that their, their sole purpose and sole job is to follow up on these residential burglaries go canvas neighborhoods, look at video surveillance, get get ring ring photos, ring video, um, et cetera, and, and start working with all of our agencies because our, our burglars are, are the other city's burglars are the other, you know, and we're seeing a, an uptick where, you know, like on the uh, our recent uh, last couple of series on El Paseo, these, these people are not Palm Desert residents. They're not Coachella Valley residents. I think the last the last two crews that hit us, um, and then the, the Cal Cal DOJ did a press release on eight of these guys. They're hitting countrywide. So um, again, when you when you you know when you bring massive amounts of people into our valley, like we have been uh, with with the you know the date festivals, the tennis tournaments, the fashion week, the food and wine, sparking into these concerts. Um, unfortunately, you're going to bring a very small population, which which are just out to to go and and know that people are having a good time, bringing a lot of things with them, and and victimizing our communities. So obviously, with those things, we put our 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 tools and resources into play. We try and try and anticipate the crime trends, days, times of the week when these things are occurring, and combat that at every level. Kind of like with our Desert X, you know, we put all all hands on board with that. 
ended up writing a search warrant out of a partner city. And then that, that investigation spearheaded into numerous other victims and, and a lot of other follow-up search warrants, things like that. So, um, All right. Uh, I would appreciate it if you could uh, report to us through the city manager whether that kind of march uptick in burglaries happens annually concurrent with the festivals or if this is uh, something different that might warrant attention. So perhaps we can have some follow-up. Thank you both uh, very, very much. Uh, we can't build uh, a happy life without starting with a safe foundation. Uh, so this issue is of paramount interest to our residents, and we appreciate all the information. So thank you. Are we ready for topic two? Yes, Madam Mayor. All right. I want to say just a couple of introductory words about our process uh, before I turn this topic over to our city clerk. Um, in Palm Desert, just about every issue of significance goes through a city council subcommittee, an appointed subcommittee of two council members. The purpose of that system is to give the subcommittee a chance to present questions uh, to staff that will help them research a topic as thoroughly as possible before it comes to the full city council for a decision. Uh, in my experience, this system is a big reason that our council meetings themselves are so efficient. The subcommittee has anticipated colleagues' questions and staff has come prepared to answer those questions. Uh, so we followed that process in regard to this topic. I've read some comments uh, expressing concern that something secret was going on behind closed doors. I want to assure you all that's not the case. We were just following the usual subcommittee process. And frankly, I'm glad we did. <laughs> uh, because the questions that the subcommittee asked have produced a pretty substantial staff report, highlights of which we're about to hear. Uh, so uh, I'm thankful uh, that the subcommittee process on Earthed uh, some additional considerations that certainly uh, were outside my view. Uh, because of that significant body of material, we've opted to start 
with this study session uh, so that we can all hear the same presentation at the same time and have the opportunity to ask some follow-up questions. Uh, contrary to the impression uh, some of the media reports gave, uh, this is not an occasion for the council to discuss or express opinions. It's an occasion for us to listen to the staff report, uh, seek clarification, uh, so that we'll have all the information we need to reflect uh, before this topic comes back to us on May 25th for discussion and direction uh, to staff. Uh, so in the interim, we are receiving and digesting all of the written public comment that's being received. Uh, if you want to make public comment in person, uh, May 25th will be the time to do that uh, because study sessions do not include public comment. Uh, but there will be a full opportunity for public comment on May 25th. So with that, Mr. Clerk, take it away. Honorable Mayor and City Council, I'm Anthony Mejia, City Clerk, and joining via Zoom, we have Jim Priest with BB&K, specializing in elections, and Dr. Douglas Johnson of National Demographics Corporation. Today, I'll review the results of staff's research related to districting options, and I'd like to note that staff intends to return at the May 25th Council meeting for formal direction. So let's begin. On December 15th, 2022, the City Council established a subcommittee of districting on districting consisting of Councilmember Harnick and Mayor Pro Tem Quintanilla. On February 10th, 2023, the subcommittee held its first and only meeting to provide direction to staff on options to research. The options included three single-member districts with two members elected at-large, four single-member districts with an at-large mayor, and five single-member districts. In addition, staff was asked for a demographic analysis on Advisory Measure B, an analysis on ranked choice voting, and an evaluation of demographers. Before moving on, I'd like to note that the three districts with two members elected at large is not a legally viable option in California and won't be discussed further in this presentation. Also, the demographic analysis on Advisory Measure B is not yet available as the information hasn't been released by the Secretary of State, but if it is released before the May 25th meeting, we'll include that in your next uh, presentation. Uh, to analyze ranked choice voting and for comparative purposes, I've pulled voting data from the cities of Albany, which also used ranked choice voting for its first time in November 2022, and Berkeley, which used ranked choice voting since 2010. As you can see in this chart, the city of Albany had approximately 12% of their voters skip the municipal election, and approximately 1.5% made an overvoting error in their first round. In the city of Palm Desert, we had approximately 8% of the voters skip our municipal election, and nearly 2.4% made an overvoting error in the first round. Yes. Sorry. 
Certainly. So the most consequential error would be overvoting in the first round. So uh, when the voter is choosing their first choice, uh, they're supposed to select only one candidate. But in that first column, the voter may have chosen two candidates or three candidates or more. And so because, because the registrar of voters can't ascertain what the voter's intention was in choosing uh, their first choice, uh, that ballot is set aside and not counted because we can't determine who that ballot belongs to. Thirty-six percent of our voters overvoted. That means two point three six percent of the ballots were void. Yes. Okay. Is that Albany, Oregon? No, I'm sorry. That's Albany, California. Okay. Thank you. Um. I I broke things up. Let's try to save our questions. Okay. And then in the city of Berkeley, District 1, about 8% of their voters skipped the municipal election and 1% made an overvoting error. And in District 8, about 17% of the voters skipped the election and 1.1% made an overvoting error. Based on these findings, staff has identified that the City of Palm Desert should focus more attention on educating the community about marking the ballots correctly and how to avoid overvoting in future elections. When it comes to demographer options, staff identified several options, including National Demographics Corporation, redistricting partners, redistricting insights, Bear Demographics and Research, and Best Best in Krieger. National Demographics Corporation, or NDC, previously worked with the city in creating the existing two-district system in 2017 and 18. They are politically neutral technicians and have never drawn maps for a political party. On the other hand, redistricting partners is headed by Paul Mitchell, who also serves as the vice president of Political Data Incorporated. And these companies are largely associated with the Democratic Party and progressive candidates. Conversely, Redistricting Insights is headed by Matt Rexroad and Fabian Valdez, and this company is largely associated with the Republican Party. Bear Demographics and Research uh, utilizes the services of David Eli of Compass Demographics, and David, David Eli serves as the demographer for Attorney Shankman. And finally, Best Best and Krieger does not have an in-house demographer, resulting in a lack of control over the map-making process. Therefore, on, on May 25th, staff will be recommending uh, selecting NDC to serve as the city's demographer should the city council choose to move forward with districting. Now let's talk districting. Should the city council decide to move forward with districting, it would be ideal to receive city council direction on the preferred number of districts by July 2023. Staff would then follow up in August with a detailed outreach plan to commence in the fall with the intention of adopting a final map in January 2024. This would ensure potential candidates running for city council will know where they'll be running from before the formal nomination period begins in July 2024. Uh, briefly, this slide is a reminder of the federal, state, and other traditional redistricting principles. Mainly, we want to ensure that each single-member district has equal population, districts are contiguous, compact, and easily identifiable boundaries. 
As a reminder, uh, staff will be presenting options related to four districts within at-large mayor and five single-member districts. Due to the Fair Maps Act, staff is prohibited from showing the uh, draft test maps. Instead, we'll share the demographic information corresponding to those number of districts. In the demographer's preliminary best efforts, a four district with an at-large mayor system would result in District 1's Latino citizen voting age population, which is CVAP, uh, dropping from 44.81% to 39.93%, while white CVAP would increase to nearly 53%. Under a five-district system, District 1 could remain unchanged. Now we will review the legal analysis and impediments to districting prior to the 2030 census. Under the Fair Maps Act, the city may only adopt new district boundaries in between censuses if it is the first time districting under a court order or the city charter provides for mid-cycle redistricting. When it comes to mid-cycle redistricting, the city charter does not currently contain any provisions related to mid-cycle redistricting. If the City Council were to choose this option, the City must submit a ballot measure at a future election, possibly the March 2024 presidential primary or the 2024 presidential election in November. Authorization by ordinance alone would be vulnerable to a legal challenge. When it comes to a court order, the existing settlement agreement and stipulated judgment contemplate allowing for mid-cycle redistricting to a five-single-member district system. To this limited extent, Attorney Shankman, his clients, and the court have already agreed this form of mid-cycle redistricting is permissible. However, it would be prudent to seek an amendment to the stipulated judgment that specifically addresses this issue, which would require negotiation with Attorney Shankman and his clients. If agreed upon and an amended stipulated judgment is ordered, this process would eliminate one significant avenue of a legal challenge. A four-district plus an at-large merit option is allowed under the government code when the change is in furtherance of the California Voting Rights Act. The demographer's preliminary best efforts could not identify a four-plus-one configuration that does not result in diluting Latino citizen voting age population in District 1. Therefore, this option does not appear to be in furtherance of the California Voting Rights Act. If the City Council were to choose this option, the City would need to negotiate with Attorney Shakeman and his clients, and the Court would need to approve the amended judgment. A five-district op option appears to be consistent with the stipulated judgment, Advisory Measure B, and applicable law. However, absent a court order, there is a risk for a third-party legal challenge. Therefore, staff believes it would be prudent to negotiate with Shankman and his clients to specifically address this issue and amend the stipulated judgment. In summary, absent a court order or charter amendment, it does not appear that the city may mid-cycle redistrict under the Fair Maps Act without risk of a legal challenge. However, if Attorney Shankman and his clients are agreeable to a change, the risk of a legal challenge is reduced. And while federal and state law does not require the use of ranked choice voting, if the City Council were to desire to eliminate its use, we would need to renegotiate this issue with Shankman and his clients. For consideration at the May 25th meeting, staff will seek direction on whether Palm Desert should divide into smaller districts or maintain the existing two-district system. If the City Council chooses to move forward with districting, we will seek direction on whether we should rely on the existing stipulated judgment as a court order, seek an amendment to the stipulated judgment to specifically address mid-cycle redistricting, or seek a charter amendment. 
We will also ask whether there is a desire to continue with the use of ranked choice voting or if we should attempt to negotiate elimination of its use. And lastly, staff will present a recommendation for NDC to serve as the city's demographer if needed. Uh, Jim, Doug, and I are available for any questions. Thank you. I'll start on the other side this time with our excellent questions. Uh, Councilmember Arnick. Since I have no excellent question, I'll pass. Councilmember Nestante. Uh, the results of the last election on this measure, do we have a breakout of how many people that lived in uh, District 1 versus District 2? Did I miss that? Uh, that was included in the staff report, uh, but... I don't have it in front of me. Certainly. Uh, in, in, citywide, the advisory measure B did pass by 53.24%. Uh, if we separate it out by district, in District 1, it passed by 57.79%, and in District 2, by 52.7%. Okay, and th thank you. And then my last, my question of the, the 2.36 overvote, did that affect the outcome of the election? Anytime a vote's not counted, it could always impact the outcome of the election. But it's impossible to know what the, the outcome of that would have been because we couldn't ascertain what their intention was because of the overvote. Okay, and then one last question. Would it be fair to say that uh, during the, elect, the last election, it was very hard to determine how the percentages of votes were getting distributed after round one? Do you have any comment or clarification? It Certainly. seemed very difficult to follow, and I know a lot of the residents found Certainly. it difficult. So, so the city adopted two versions of ranked choice voting. Uh, for District 1, we have single winner ranked choice voting, which is much simpler because whole votes are transferred when a candidate is eliminated. So if the lowest uh, vote receiving candidate is eliminated, all of their votes are transferred to uh, the voter's next favorite candidate. In multi-winner ranked choice voting, it's much more complicated because you have both the process in which uh, the lowest receiving candidates uh, votes are redistributed, but you also have the situation where if a candidate wins outright, as uh, Councilmember Harnick did, and has surplus votes, meaning that person has reached the minimum threshold to win, and now they have votes that they don't necessarily need, so those votes are then, those excess votes are then transferred to the voter's next favorite choice. But that is fractional votes because, of course, uh, the council member still needs to retain the threshold. So in, in this last election, in the case of Councilmember Harnick, everybody who voted for Councilmember Harnick, there was an excess of 1,300 plus votes. Uh, of the 6,700 people that voted for her, um, they all received a fraction of their vote back. In this case, it was approximately 20% of their vote. That vote is then redistributed to their next favorite candidate. That process, as, as we go through round by round, Plus, as more ballots are being counted because you have vote-by-mail ballots, you have ballots that are provisional because they uh, may have uh, registered on that same day, the, the results change hour by hour. And uh, because of the way the state has set up uh, ballot tabulations, 
uh, it can take up to three or four weeks before all of the ballots are counted. So every day the results are changing. And of course, the fractional votes uh, make it much more complicated. Indeed. That's an understatement. <laughs> could, could I jump in here to ask some follow-up questions uh, to try to make sure as many of us as possible grasp what you just said? <laughs> uh, because it went by very quickly. In the most recent election, Voters understood they were voting to fill two council vacancies, correct? Yes. And underwritten choice voting, if a candidate received X percent, they were elected without further application of ranked choice voting rule. So what was that X percent? So in this election, the threshold in round one was 5,393 votes. And that's what percent? That should be approximately 33.3% plus one. Okay. So do I understand correctly that what happened was because Councilman Pearl Harnick received more than that minimal threshold... Uh, the system did uh, give some value to the second place votes of those who had voted for her first. Correct. And that value was determined by creating a fraction in which the numerator was the amount by which she exceeded the threshold. Correct. And the denominator was the threshold. Correct. Which turned out to be roughly 20%. In this case. So if you made Councilmember Harnick your first choice, your second choice vote went into the tabulation at 20%. Correct. And if Councilmember Harnick had just beat the threshold by one vote, her supporters' second place votes effectively would go nowhere. Correct. I think that would surprise most voters. Uh, which, since we're all on it, I'll just ask this follow-up question. Uh, do we, because this, the settlement agreement simply referred to ranked choice voting without defining how that system works or without referencing another jurisdiction's pattern, uh, do we know whether there's any jurisdiction, any place, using ranked choice voting uh, to fill multiple vacancies at the same time, which is using it differently than you and I just described? 
We don't know, but we can certainly research that and provide you with an update at the May 25th meeting. Okay. And um, Mayor Portem-Quintanilla, I, I don't expect you to speak to this now, but I would invite you between now and the 25th to just think about uh, whether you and your fellow plaintiff are open to any changes in how ranked choice voting operates. I hadn't really meant to do all of that just then, but you teed it up. And I am finished. Thank you, Mayor. Okay. Um, Mayor Pro Tim Keaton, yeah. Questions? Thank you. I didn't have questions before, but in reviewing and, and um, going over this morning, um, given the potential for litigation as we're looking at the different options and the cost for the original settlement to where we are and having two districts, the cost uh, was approximately $555,000 to the city. What is the cost per hour that we are billed by Best Best and Krieger? And essentially, what was the cost per week to Mr. Shankman? Cost per week? Yes, roughly. I mean, I don't know how many hours, the billable hours, if you have that, or just in consideration of how long this could potentially continue in a, at the court until we look at potential stipulations or external lawsuits. So we could re do the research, but um, just so I'm clear, you're wanting to know what the hourly rate was at the time of the first settlement agreement? Yes, overall, okay. just, just for contrast. I mean, as we're looking at how we got here, where we can go, and what the potential cost would be under the various options, I think that it's important to see not only the data information for voters, but also the financial impact of that as well. We can attempt to do that. I will just say that it's, it's going to be difficult to ascertain how many billable hours Shankman's is going to apply towards even talking to him briefly. And, and that's why I was thinking roughly an hour. If we can take an sure. estimate of saying that amount had this many weeks so that if we can anticipate fluctuation, it would give us a rough guess. I mean, again, I don't expect sure. a perfect answer, but a rough idea. And my following question is where you mentioned in Berkeley's District 1 and 8, mm -hmm. are those the high and the low, or were those selected at random, or if possible, you know, looking at it in the middle? Uh, when you say high or low, I'm not sure. When um, you're in the in the report, I'm looking at what page that was. When you show um, Albany versus Palm Desert, uh -huh. Berkeley District One and Berkeley District Eight, were one and eight selected as the oh. first threshold or second or just in going one through eight? I, I selected one and eight because uh, they had elections which used ranked choice voting. So those other districts either only had two candidates, so ranked choice voting didn't play into the determination. So uh, because of Berkeley uh, using it for uh, 12 years at that point, um, I wanted to give a comparison of somebody, another city that's using it for their first time in comparison to a city and, and uh, voters that have gotten used to it over the course of five or six elections. So it, that's the same in, in District 8. There was, there was ranked choice that was applied because Correct. of multiple candidates. Correct. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate mm -hmm. that. Uh, Councilmember Truby. 
Yeah, great report. Thanks for doing all the legwork to the subcommittee and the staff. Appreciate that. Um, question is, there's a prohibition against mid-cycle, meaning mid between censuses, districting again. If we want to, it would require a change to the city charter. Is that correct? Three options are, or really two options, court order, charter amendment. And could you just walk us through what a charter amendment would entail? This would be my first time through it, or maybe the public would like to know. Certainly. So uh, we would need to draft the ballot question, in which would be in summary uh, along the lines of authorize, adding a new charter provision that would allow the city to redistrict, uh, really, whether we want to say at any time or um, a one-time only situation. But ultimately, we would have to craft a question in which voters would decide yes, you may mid-cycle redistrict. And then uh, that ballot question would get submitted and the voters would need to approve it by a 50% plus one margin. So the only option is to go out again to a plebiscite or, or to the voters. It, it has to be a ballot measure, not something the council can decide. Correct. So an ordinance would certainly be vulnerable to an, uh, a legal challenge. Perfect. Thank you. Um, and let me just follow up up on that question again to make sure we all understand this fair maps act question um, clearly cities do redistrict in response to census data so it is the hitch here uh, that we did readjust the boundaries of our existing two districts in response to the most recent census. That's correct. After the census data was released in 21, uh, the city did undergo the redistricting process and adopted a slightly uh, revised map. Uh, and so that, that avenue of redistricting has been exhausted. And it, unless there is something I'm unaware of, uh, my impression is that when we did that, uh, we did not have the Fair Maps Act and its implications on the radar. Is that true as best you understand? Uh, when we submitted uh, Advisory Measure B? Is that the question? No. When we refined the current lines for District 1. My, my understanding is when we, uh, the city redefined District 1 and back in 2022 early, uh, it was before the council even began discussions on whether to submit a advisory ballot measure regarding uh, districting. Okay. Uh, and then just a couple of additional questions. I'm not sure if... Mr. Johnson or Mr. Priest, no answer to this based on your experience. Um, but the back and forth uh, discussion that we had about how ranked choice voting influenced the votes of folks who, whose first choice met the threshold. Uh, do either of you know from the literature what the rationale is uh, for reducing the impact of the second place vote uh, for those folks 
in an election which is filling two vacancies. If you don't, that's okay. You don't have to make it up. <laughs> I, I I would be making it up, Madam Mayor, if I were to okay. answer. So I'll, I'll, I'm not aware of any such information. I'll, I'll defer to Mr. Johnson if he has any information. Thank you. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Um, the, the one thing is it does factor into the, as, as Sacred mentioned, the 33 and a third plus one vote limit comes from that fact that there are two seats or three seats up in a given year is how that's calculated. Um, some respect it is factored in via that formula, but I think the, the main focus is kind of getting everyone their representative. And if you let the majority still cast two votes and those two votes both count, well then the, uh, you know, the, Traditionally, an underrepresented group would not be getting their votes in. Okay. It, 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 yes, Councilmember Arnick. I'm intrigued by the blanks. And what's interesting is Palm Desert was 8%, and then Berkeley, which has been doing this for 12 years, in one district is 8%, and the other, I, I think it was 17%. And Albany, I, I'm not sure I recall reading how long that they've been using it. But I looked at the 8% and I said, well, it, uh, this voting was a mystery to many of our voters, so that, okay, that makes sense. They left it blank, perhaps. But Berkeley's been doing it for a number of years. Do we have any inclination why there's such a high rate of blanks? I, even the 8%, if you took the initiative to vote, and then you would leave something blank, 8%, that's high, when you've already got it in your hand, and then 17% would be, is just disappointing for that one district in Berkeley. So do we have any clue why people take their ballot and then leave that blank? It, it's not, well, before we get to District 8, it's not uncommon for, you know, of course, certain uh, races where you know, you're, you're, as a voter, you may be very interested in who the president or the governor or the lieutenant governor may be. But then when you get to the municipal election or the superior court judge, you might skip that election. So that's that's not uncommon. I, I don't know the conditions in District 8. I can certainly do some research to see if, you know, sometimes it's the tone of the election that just turns voters off and they don't want to participate in the election. Um it could be the candidates themselves. I, I can try to do some research from the, and certainly reach out to the city clerk of Berkeley to find out if he has any thoughts on why uh, the, the drop-off was so high. Uh, that, that, that amount is quite high, 17%. Yeah, and I understand the down ballot issue, but these are generally separate ballots, right? Because it's ranked choice. It's not the down, so you have that piece of paper for your city and you just choose not to vote? I, I, we, I would again need to check with Alameda County because they've been doing it for longer and so they may have figured out a methodology to allow for one ballot. I, I don't know the conditions on the ground over there, but okay. I can look into it. Thank you. All right, I see <clears throat> no further questions. Uh, 
I'll share with my colleagues that um, I am personally resolved uh, not to speak to the press between now and May 25th because I think our discussion will be most fruitful um, if uh, um, we show a perspective of eagerness to hear from each other uh, before we state positions. And uh, I will refrain uh, from characterizing anyone else's motives. Uh, I'll let each of you speak to your own motives on the 25th. So uh, we'll be back to this topic at that time. Yes, let's take let's take ten minutes before we come back to open our session. Thank you. 